this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a little while, or uh, you're listening online for the first time, we are in the middle of a series, and we're studying the book of Esther. And so today we're in Esther chapter 5 through 7, Esther 5 through 7. And uh, we're going to open that up and just dive into it and just see what God would have for us here today. Uh, but I want to pray for us and ask God to speak to our hearts, uh, because I believe that God can still speak to us today. Amen. I believe that um, God has a word for each and every one of us. And if we lean into it, I, I think that God can speak to our hearts here today. And uh, there are the, the funny thing about preaching, especially through the Old Testament, is because it's a story. It's a narrative. Right. And so it's not necessarily breaking down these teaching concepts. We have to see how God is moving and working in the midst and woven through it all. And so uh, I'm really excited about these particular chapters uh, because it's a whirlwind. I'm telling you, Esther's already been crazy the first few chapters, uh, but this these three right here that we're talking about today is a huge whirlwind. So I need you guys to get ready and lean in a little bit. But uh, let's pray today and just ask God to speak to our hearts. Is that OK? Yeah, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We are so thankful for you, God. God, thank you for uh, the people that are in this room and listening online. I pray that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move and work inside of our hearts and lives. And God, maybe that uh, you would illuminate some things in us that maybe we've never seen before. And God, I pray that you would heal some things that are maybe uh, tucked down deep inside of our hearts, tucked down deep inside of our souls that uh, we're starting maybe even to see the fruit of some of those pieces in our lives. God, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your grace. I pray for your courage. Uh, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 So today, really the larger theme, as you look at Esther chapter five through seven, to get us caught up to the storyline is you have Esther, who is our main person, right? The, the whole book of Esther is about who? Esther, right? So we see this Esther. Uh, but in the first chapter, we realize that Esther's not the hero of the story. The hero of the story is God, right? And God uses broken people in the midst of it all. And so uh, we see this picture unfold where there's this one queen. She's removed from queen. This is the fast forward version. Uh, this is kind of that, that pre, you know, before you watch a show, they always give you like a two minute. Here's what happened last on. And so as you think about all of these pieces of Esther, there was a queen. The queen was removed. And now the new queen queen comes, Esther, she is in place. And then after she is in place, uh, she has hidden her nationality, which she is a Jewish woman. And she has an older cousin who raised her. His name is Mordecai. And you have Esther and Mordecai. And now you have these two Jewish people who are high up in the king's palace now. So she's queen. He's a high official. Now we have a new person who was introduced last week. His name is Haman. And so he is placed above everybody else in the palace. He can make all of decisions. And so when he was placed in all of the palace, he and Mordecai started butting heads and he hated Mordecai. He hated him so much that he'd wanted not only to eliminate and kill Mordecai, he wanted to wipe out the entire Jewish nation right there in Persia. So he and remember, he's the highest and he asked the king to do it. And the king said, OK, if you want to do that, let's do it. So this uh, this plan has started out in motion. And then last week, we kind of saw this pivotal moment for Esther when Mordecai looks at her and says, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Maybe God has orchestrated all of these pieces and put you into place 
for this moment in time. And that really spoke to us as well, right? Because we're living in our world today, maybe our family today and our workplace today. And we're looking around going, God, what are you doing? And we can look back and go, maybe God has placed us right where we are for such a time as this. Maybe God has placed us in this generation, in this family, in this area, in this school, in this workplace for such a time as this. And so that gets us up here to Esther chapter five. But as I read Esther chapter five through seven, this theme really comes into place. And this theme is the reversal, the reversal. And so we've been talking about the book of Esther almost in a place uh, kind of scenario where you have different people come in and different people come out of the story and it's kind of broken down into different sections. But I looked up because I said there had to, there has to be a term you know, when you look at a play or you look at a story for the reversal, right? There has to be an official like term when something radically changes incredibly fast. And so I know you guys are just, just so eager, patiently waiting, want to know what that term is, right? Right. OK. You're like, no, Daniel, I don't even care. Um, but there's this term is called and we'll try to pronounce it. And it's kind of crazy. But it says parapatea, parapatea. Have you ever heard that before? It's a literary term basically for the reversal. It's when a, a character in the story, a person in the story is headed down one direction. It looks like this is going to happen. It looks like it's all going to be good for them. And then all of a sudden parapatea happens and it's switched and the reversal happens and it goes the a twist of fate, so to speak, or twist of faith, so to speak, will happen. And all of a sudden where they were, it switches to the exact opposite. And that's what we see here. And so that's what makes this story so exciting. And can I be honest with you? I'm already trying to preach, but um, can I be honest with you? That's what makes our lives with Christ exciting, because at any moment we can have this peripatia moment. Of, of this reversal, this switch where we didn't know God was working. And then all of a sudden, it's not like God just all out of the blue started working, but it's now we can see what God has been doing the whole time. We can actually see it's like the curtain is moved back and we're going, oh, that's what God was doing. That's what he was working on. That's what he was orchestrating and putting the details into place. I couldn't see it in the moment, but now I can see it. And so we see this begin to happen in Esther chapter five. And so just to set it up, we're here in Esther chapter five, starting in verse one. Everybody's ready to say amen. 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 We're going to start in verse one. It says this on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out his gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. The king said to her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. And so we see this picture begin to unfold where Esther, we see in four, she's challenged to go and talk to the king, right? As you were made for queen for such a time as this. And the Jewish people are getting ready to be annihilated and removed off the face of the earth, right? So you need to do something. You need to step up. You need to say this. And so she begins to go into this fast and time of prayer. And we realize as we read scripture and we talked about last week is we get wisdom from above. 
And when we ask God in James, it tells us when we ask God for wisdom, he is faithful to give it to us. So she's coming out of this fast and time of prayer, and she has this wisdom of how to approach the, approach the situation. She doesn't just come right out and say it to the king. She goes, hey, actually, I want to I make a banquet for you. And I want you to be there. And I'm going to invite also Haman and all of these officials, right? So she doesn't come right out and ask him uh, to change this. And so she has this wisdom of how to approach this. So she invites the king. The king accepts. And she begins to plan out this entire banquet for everybody to come. Well, the king goes and he falls asleep at night and he starts having bad dreams, right? He starts having these crazy dreams and he can't sleep. And so he needs some relief and he wants somebody to read to him. So that he goes, will you go to my library and pick one of the books of history that you will read to me? And can you guess what book he picked? You remember in chapter two when I said, remember this piece? Uh, we read at the end of chapter two that everything that happened with Mordecai and how he helped save the king, it was written in the book of history, right? And so the guy walks in and coident, co- coident, I can't even talk today. You guys ready? Anyway, uh, so he walks in and randomly, right? Picks the book of history that has the story about Mordecai. So he grabs it and he walks into the king's palace and he's reading to the king who's having this nightmare. And the king goes, wow, that's an incredible story that this Mordecai saved me. This is this is amazing. Did anybody do anything for this man named Mordecai? And they're like, no, nobody's actually done anything for him. They hasn't been celebrated. In fact, we don't even know if he's anybody has said thank you. Right. And all of a sudden uh, he calls and has this meeting and he calls Haman in, who's his number two. And he goes, Haman, have you heard about this story? There's this guy who spoke up and saved me as a king from being assassinated. I just randomly had this story read to me, right? And see how God is working through all the details in this. And then in Esther chapter 6, we see where the king talks to Haman. And this is where we lean in a little bit and we find out a little bit more about Haman's heart. And where he is at and why he is so adamant about going against Mordecai and God's people. And so in Esther chapter 6, the king doesn't say who it is. The king says, this man has done all of this to save me. So Haman thinks the king is talking about Haman. He thinks he's he's talking about himself. And so catch this conversation here in Esther chapter 6 and verse 6. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman's like, oh, he's talking about me. The king is so pleased with me. Here's what you should do, king. And it says, Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse to that king himself has ridden. One, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Get this right here. This is the best part. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone who wishes to honor. Here we go right here. Peripatia. Excellent. The king said to Haman, quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you had said for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the gate palace. Leave nothing out that you have said. Do everything that you have said. And in fact, if you read further, he says, you be the one that goes behind him and you're the one shouting, going, hey, look at the man that God is ready to honor. Can you believe this? 
this reversal moment happens that we see here. But we see, we see this, we see something happen in the heart of Haman. It says in the story where Haman walks into the king here in our earlier chapters and the king is pleased with Haman. So Haman walks out excited. I mean, he's filled up to the brim. He's smiling. He believes he's on top of the world. And when he walks out, it says that Mordecai rejects Haman. And it's the moment that Mordecai rejects Haman, his, his countenance just fails. He gets so angry, so mad, so blinded with rage that he not only wants to kill Mordecai, but yet he wants to wipe out a whole nation. It changes the way he lives his daily life. He is so mad and so upset because he could not get the approval of Mordecai. When he had the approval of the king, he was on top of the world. But when he didn't have the approval of the other person, it's like everything fell. And we see something happen inside of his heart is that he has a, a deep desire to be approved by the people around him. And he hung who he was and how he lived his life on the approval of the king and others around him. And here's the thing. I begin to see that and read that as we uh, case study, so to speak. And I begin to take a deep dive a little bit in this because I believe the enemy still attacks us today in that very same way. I, I believe we still battle with that because if we look at Scripture, sometimes we look at the desire to be approved and we think it's something negative sometimes. We, we think, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have this desire. I have to crucify that desire and kind of throw it out to the wayside. But if you talk to every single person and really talk to them, everybody has the desire to be approved, Right? I mean, everybody wants to be approved, not only by themselves, but from the people around them. If you think about it, I mean, it's Father's Day, and if you don't have the approval of your father, then you spend a lot of times of your life trying to win the approval of everybody else, right? Or maybe you wrestle with that, whatever it may be. And uh, there's many different things that can happen inside of our lives. And as I begin to study it even more in Scripture this week, um, it, it's pretty eye-opening to see because we usually, if we can't feel that void of the approval from everyone else, if we don't put it in the right place, we end up doing one of three things, if not more than one of these three things. And the first thing we do is, is we hide. We can isolate ourselves. We can tuck ourselves away, right? We see this in Genesis chapter 3 where uh, the Adam and Eve, when sin entered the world, what did they do? They ran from the presence of God and they tried to hide. They tried to isolate, right? And they tried to uh, get out of the way because they knew that God was not going to approve of the decision that they made. So they tried to hide. They tried to isolate. I can't face the problem. I can't face the situation. So if I don't get around them, then I, they're neither going to approve me or deny me, right? Like I can just kind of remove myself from it. Or we can kind of go to the other end and we can pretend that we're better than we really are. Right. We can almost put this mask or this facade on of going, if they really find out who I am, if they really find out what's going on in me, then they, they may not approve of me. Right. 
And we put this kind of facade or almost this fakeness out. And, and then you put somebody who's struggling with that and you hand them social media. It's like, right, we like inject steroids into it because now I'm only showing the highlight reels. And then the endorphins kick in, right? And whenever somebody get all of these likes and it doesn't matter what age we are, we can still struggle with it, right? And then we have all of these moments of this kick of going, wow, look, they're approving of this version of me. Wow, they're approving of this. And when I do this, right? And I, and then it feeds the desire to almost this fake reality of if they truly find out who I am, they're not going to approve of me. So I have to put out this fake version of who I am. I have to shout out this, this better version of myself. And then the last one is, is we go into achievement mode, right? We go into that. If I work hard enough, if I achieve enough, if I get enough medals and goals and promotions, if I get enough of all of these things, then the people around me are going to look and go, wow, yes, I approve of him. Look how good they're doing. Look how amazing they're doing, right? And so we just try harder and harder to accomplish more. And I don't know if you've ever been in that cycle before. Have you ever been in one of these avenues before? I, I know I have, right? It's exhausting, isn't it? Isn't it exhausting to try to live for the approval of the people around us? And when we don't get it, it makes us hungry for more. So then we'll even try even harder. We'll, we'll go even further into isolation or we'll go even further into the fakeness of reality, right? Because if I can go further into that and I get some pseudo version of approval, then I'm, I'm feeding that a little bit. But the problem with that is it never really fulfills us, does it? We, we have to keep going back for more. If I achieve something and I get a little bit of approval, a week or two or a month passes, I got to achieve more, right? I, I need to get the approval again, right? If I, if I look better in one situation, then I got to find another situation to look better in. And I got to take all of this work to keep up this facade of, of what this could look like. And, or I, I can only hide for so long, right? I can only isolate for so long. And then I realize this is no way that I'm, this is not how I'm supposed to live, fully isolated and separated from what this looks like. But God has a better plan, right? And, and, and God has placed the desire in us to want to be approved, right? But you and I, we just have to place it in the right hands. If I place my need for approval in my hands, I'm going to crush it with achievement, right? Or I'm going to try to isolate it. Or if I take my need for approval and I put it in your hands, now I'm your servant, right? Now I, I'm just trying to approve you. I'm trying to approve you and I'm trying to do all these things that you like. And, and so I've placed that approval, but God says the correct place to put it is in my hands. If you'll take your need for approval and you'll put it in my hands, you will see that I am the one who will look down. And then you can did you think about this free, this, this moment, this saying right here. I have nothing to prove to anyone. You just feel the freedom in that saying right there. I have nothing to prove to anyone. Doesn't that feel freeing going, wow, I'm heading into Monday and I have nothing to prove to anyone because I am fully approved in the eyes of my perfect father. And that's the one part of the freedom that God wants to give you and I. Haman wouldn't be falling into this trap of going, he didn't approve of me. Now I got to wipe out a whole nation, right? And we see this, this bitterness and this anger and this rage begin to weld up. But God is saying, I have come not only to give you life, but I want you to be set free where you are that you're not struggling 
struggling with the approval of everyone around you, but yet you are hungry for my approval, right? And we see this begin to play out over and over in Scripture. I love what Timothy Keller says, and he says this, The gospel is not you putting together righteousness and giving it to God. The gospel is God putting together righteousness and giving it to you. Isn't that a beautiful thing that God is saying? We don't have to have it all together. Jesus says, just place your faith, your belief, your life in me. And I give you this great exchange. This great reversal happens, right? Where I give him my unrighteousness. And God says, here is my righteousness. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, he is saying, that is my son. That is my daughter. I fully approve of them, not because of what they have done, but because of the blood of Jesus covers them and my I'm looking through the lens of Jesus and his righteousness. And now they can know they are fully approved in the eyes of God. And that's a beautiful statement. That's a freeing statement for you and I. And we see this where it, it can feed the approval of others and ourselves. It can, can, it can feed a kind of self um, working uh, moment where God is saying, I want you to change to focus where your, your sense of approval needs to be for God. And this is a game changer for no matter where we are. But I look back for me as a younger man and I wish I would have clung to this a little more. Right. I wish I would have clung to this a little more of knowing that I didn't need the approval of the people around me, that I could get my full approval from God and that he can show me what is right. He can show me the pathway to life. Right. And we see this beautiful thing begin to happen that God is doing this. We also see in Acts chapter five. When Peter, they're, they're preaching and they're teaching and they're trying to silence them. And they're saying, you, you need to stop doing this or we're going we're gonna to have to uh, arrest you. Or even further, we're going to have to kill you. And what does Peter say? He says, we must obey God rather than human beings, right? Peter's saying, he's saying, you know what? I need to be approved by God, not by what you say. So I am serving God and not man. And we see this freeing moment, this fearless moment from Peter, but it comes from this deep-rooted sense of, I know who I am, and this is what my father, my perfect father has asked me to do. And I'm hungry to please him because I know that because of Jesus, he has fully approved of me. And so we see this begin to happen, and God begins to teach us here. And as the story progresses here in the book of Esther, everybody still doing okay? In the book of Esther, we see as we move into uh, chapter 7, and this is where we see the plan begin to take place. This is where the moment where you and I get to kind of pull the curtain back, where we've seen God working behind the scenes of, of in Esther chapter 6. It's almost comical, right? Or it's, it's almost mind-blowing to think, wow, all of these different pieces are coming into place where uh, Esther is made queen. And then there, uh, all of a sudden that Mordecai comes across this, plot to kill the king and it's written down in the history books right and then the king has a nightmare and he needs some relief and they pick this book out and it just so happens to be the story of Mordecai and then Haman just so happens to walk in and the king goes hey grab Haman Haman what should we do for this man and then all of a sudden now he's like yes let's do this and now he is actually raising up the man who is Mordecai who Haman is planned to kill and we see this here in Esther chapter 
uh, Esther chapter 7 began to come into play and we get to the banquet that Esther, Esther actually plans two different banquets. We see, we don't give a, we don't really get a reason why, uh, why she chose the different ones, but she comes up with this plan to create these two different banquets. And then when she gets to this banquet, look at how she presents this problem to her king here in chapter seven. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I would remain quiet, for it would have been too trivial of a matter to warrant, a di warrant disturbing the king. And then this is the king in response. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded, who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked man, Haman, is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. The king jumped to his feet in rage and went out into the palace garden. We've seen this peripatia begin to happen right here, right? This reversal begins to happen where Haman is standing there and that she unfolds what this plan is. And she goes, can you believe that somebody is trying to wipe out not only me, but all of my people? And he says, who would be so presumptive? Who would come up with this plan? Just show me who the man is, right? And she goes, oh, it's Haman. He's the one that's issued this whole plan, right? And, and of course, he is frightened because he knows what's about to happen. And we're going to see later in chapters how this continues to unfold. But this is a moment. This is the reversal that begins to happen in the book of Esther. Because God is the God of the reversal. And if you kind of look at this, I even try to look up like a, a really fancy theological term for the uh, reversal. But this is my favorite layman's term. You ready for it? But God. Amen. This is a but God moment. If you look all throughout scripture, there are so many but God moments right there. You see the, the Jewish people, they get to the Red Sea, how they are just freed from slavery and they're standing at the Red Sea. It looks like they're going to die. The, the Egyptians are coming to close in on them. And God looks at Moses, but God, right? And he parts the Red Sea and they walk all the way across it. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. And we see in Joseph how his brothers, he, he comes in and God gives him these dreams and he starts to uh, boast about how God is going to raise him up. He's going to be the ruler over his brothers. I'm not, that's probably not the best way to get your brothers on your side. But anyway, uh, he takes his vision. He's kind of bragging about it a little bit. So his brothers get so mad that he's the favorite and they throw him into the well. They were going to kill him, but then one brother's like, we can't do that, okay? So let's just, just, just sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery, but but God begins to work all behind the scenes, right? And everywhere that Joseph goes in this terrible tragedy of a situation, God raises him up to be the leader. He goes to a prison, God raises him up to run the prison. And then he goes to the palace of the Egyptians and God raises him up right next to Pharaoh. And we see this turn of events begin to happen. And I want to read this in Acts chapter 7. 
where uh, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is getting ready to be martyred. And he gives this beautiful message. And he brings up Joseph and how God works in the midst of our pain. How God works in the midst of where we can't see him. We don't think he's working, but he's trying to remind us that God is always working here in Acts chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10, it says, These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the whole palace. And then we're going to look at actual, this came from Joseph's mouth in Genesis 50 chapter 20. It says this, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. We see this but God moment. If you're taking notes here, we still go through pain, but God turns it around for his glory. Amen. We, we still face trouble. We feel, uh, face trials in our world. But there are but God moments that happen over and over again. And if you and I will take our pain, if you and I will take our suffering, there is a promise in Romans 8, chapter 28, that God will turn it out for good. God will turn it around somehow, some way for his Glory, And that is the great reversal that you and I get to live in. That the situations and the tragedies that we face, when we place them in the hands of God, He will move, He will work, and only God can take a tragedy like that and turn it into something beautiful. God can take a mess of our lives and turn it into a message. Amen? He can take the, the darkest most craziest things maybe we have been through before in our lives. Where there's so much pain, where we're not even sure like how we even got through it. And God says, if you will give that to me, I will use it for my glory. In fact, I will use it where you, you won't even understand, right? And, and just how he told Joseph, how Joseph proclaimed, he says, God has used it to save many people. God will use your story and your testimony to point people to him. And people will come to know Jesus through your testimony of your pain, your struggles, your sorrows. But yet when we surrender to God, we become a mouthpiece, right? Pain is a mantle that God can use to reach multiple people. And God is saying, if you will surrender that to me, I can use it for my glory. I remember this story um, as kind of a but God moment for us in our lives and uh, my we have we've been blessed to have four kids and our third kid Bennett uh, it, he has a nickname you, I don't know if anybody knows his nickname his nickname is Big Papa Pump okay I gave him that nickname because he was born at 36 weeks so he was born early and uh, we had our boys they're all three they're 15 months apart and so uh, when we got to that third one my wife had a lot of complications uh, preeclampsia, all of those things. And so the whole pregnancy is kind of like all hands on deck watching over her. Her uh, blood pressure got scary high multiple times when she went to the doctor. And, uh, and you know, I'm really, really smart. And uh, like two, the, like probably six to eight weeks before she was 
uh, due to have her baby. I went away on a week-long uh, camp for student ministry, and so I was gone. So it was her and uh, two toddlers, you know, hanging out with these, and she's got all this going on, and uh, she calls me about three days in, and she says, hey, I had a doctor's appointment. Uh, they're saying everything's too high, and they want me to go on bed rest at the hospital. They want me to just stay at the hospital. And this was uh, like 34 weeks, 33, 34 weeks. So this is still really early. And uh, so, of course, I hang up the phone. I make arrangements, and I just book it back home to the hotel. And she spends two weeks at Atlanta Medical Center, and uh, they're keeping an eye on her. And I remember almost two weeks to the day, uh, the doctor walks in, and uh, they're, they're monitoring her, of course, and everything's happening. Her blood pressure's really high, and uh, it, it gets really tense. And so she starts to try to find the heartbeat for Bennett, Big Papa Pump. And so they, they, they're looking around for the heartbeat, and they can't find it. And so they, you can, I, I always try to watch the nurses, you know, because if the nurses are freaking out, I'm like, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to really, you know. And so she, you could tell her face change, and she walks out of the room really fast. And I guess she's going to get somebody or talks to somebody, and then she heads right back in. And when she walks in, she says, hey, we need to get her to surgery right now. She turns around, does something else, and she literally does this. And this, I knew it was real. She turns, she goes, I said move now. And she, like, yells at the top of her lungs. And so I'm like, okay. And my wife, man, she is so incredible going through all of this. She looks at every single nurse and me in the room, and she says, y'all better be praying. And so we're all just praying over this. And, and so we're getting them to the, out of the room, and I'm trying to put on that little scrunchy head and all these different things. I'm trying not to lose it. I'm trying to, like, where's the doctor, all these things. And we get to the hallway, and you can tell they're just running and getting back to the C-section for this emergency surgery. And then right in the middle of the hallway, she says, the baby, he's coming now. Like, we have to do something now. And so she delivers in the hallway on the way to the C-section. And, the, and when Bennett comes out, you, he's silent. Like, you can't hear anything. And so they're still rushing her into the C-section. They're getting all of these things in there. And I'm like fighting nurses. I'm like, no, I'm going in. I want to hear a cry. I want to hear something, right? And so we're just praying like all of these things begin to happen. And, and uh, about two minutes, it felt like eternity. I don't know if you've ever been like a two-minute thing where it feels like four years. That's what it felt like. And so we're sitting in this moment, and all of a sudden, we hear this cry begin to yell out. And I just, you know, it's just one of those moments where you lose it. And of course, he's born at 36 weeks and uh, he has to go into C-section and begins to go in the NICU for two or three more weeks after that and uh, begins to fight through all of these different pieces. But I remember in that moment thinking, I, I, God, you, I, we just need you in this moment right now. We need you to move and work and do what only you can do. And I remember just crying out here in this moment. But for us, it was a but God moment, right? It was, for us, it was all the, the uncertainty. I'm not sure what's going to happen and how is this going to work? And God, what are you going to do? And all of a sudden, right there in the moment, it's like everything changed. And it was like, okay, okay, you're, you're moving here and you're working and we see that begin to happen. And so that's why when you see him come running around, I, I call him Big Papa Pump because I got to boost his ego because he was born premature and he's always been small for his age. And get this, this is the crazy thing too is um, he's been in the hospital multiple times because he was premature. He spent weeks in the hospital just being sick or whatever it may be. And um and the doctors talked about a lot of different complications. And when he was younger, uh, things were beginning to happen with his voice and all of his uh, with his voice. And it was harder for him to even cry and have those moments. So I remember sitting in the hospital 
And I remember praying. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you need to keep praying over him uh, about his voice. Because I just felt this impression like I want to use his voice. I want to use his voice. If you meet him now, you can't get him to stop talking. I mean, he literally talks all the time, like all the time. The other day I was like, I counted, hey, dad, probably 30 times in an hour at our house. And it's just amazing to see. But it's this reversal begins to happen because we live in a broken world where not everything happens perfectly. Right. But in a moment, God can begin to change and work inside of our lives. And if you and I trust him with where we're at, he gives us the faith to not only come through it, but he turns it into a testimony. He turns it into a story. And we see God begin to work and the greatest reversal that we see in scripture is we see here in Romans chapter 5 verses 6 and 8 and I like this because it literally says but God here in this piece of scripture when we were utterly helpless Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The greatest reversal that you and I have is that while we were helpless, while we were running from God, while we were turning from him and and trying to hide and get approval from everywhere else, Jesus said, I'm going to go first. I'm going to love them first. I'm going to give you the approval that you need and I'm going to fulfill you in only the way that I can. And Jesus says, I'm going to take your unrighteousness, your your mistakes, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you what is right. And he gives us this beautiful exchange that you and I can't work towards it, but it's the free gift of God. And we see this begin to happen, this peripatia moment in our lives, this great reversal. And here's the here's the beautiful thing for you and I, because I know Father's Day and Mother's Day can bring up a lot of different mixed emotions for a lot of us. And maybe we came from a household where we can't look to our mothers or fathers. And God gives us an opportunity to trust him for a great reversal in our lives where he is saying you can now rewrite the story, not only for you, because you have a perfect father who can fulfill you, but you can rewrite the story for the generations to come. You can say, you know what? It stops with you. It stops with your generation. Amen. God gives us the power to go. I am rewriting the story with you and for the future generations. And even though it was painful, even though maybe it is still painful, God can use it for his glory, not only for this generation, but for generations to come. But God is saying, I want you to trust me with it first. You have to be willing to place your faith in me first. And God is saying, now I will use it for my glory. I will use it for generations to come. And we see this beautiful thing begin to happen that you and I have the opportunity to allow God to rewrite our story. And he will. And he gives us this new opportunity to experience him. And so I want to pray for us as a church as we finish up these. And then next week, we're going to wrap up Esther together. And we're going to see how the book of Esther connects to the whole Bible, connects to how God began to move and work, not only in that particular time period, but for generations to come and how the world was changed. And we see how God intertwines and connects all of it into his glorious plan as we see Esther begin to close. But I just want to pray for us and say today, 
And my prayer is that today can be a moment where either we realize, have the revelation, or we have a moment of encouragement to go, God is rewriting my story. Maybe God started rewriting your story years ago, but life happened and it got hard and it got difficult. Maybe it was painful or whatever it may be. And it was so cloudy and dark. You're like, I don't even know if he's rewriting it anymore. And I'm here to tell you, God is still working. We see in the book of Esther, that is the theme of everything woven through, that God is still working behind the scenes. He is always working. And even though we may not be able to see through the curtain every single time, but God is always working behind the scenes. And we can trust that he will work all things out for the good of those who love him. We can cling to that promise. We know of that promise, but we place our faith in him. And so my hope, my prayer is that you allow him to continue or to start rewriting your story today of whatever that may look like for you. And that, that may look like for you. I've never given my life to Jesus before. And today I want to give my life to him. And I want to have that great exchange begin to happen in my life. Or maybe uh, for you or you're saying, you know what? I need to surrender that, that painful moment in my life. And I need to give it to God so he can start healing me of that. So that he can start rewriting that story inside of my life. Maybe you've never uh, been used by God before through serving or whatever that may look like. And you're saying, you know what? Today I want to start serving God. God with my uh, gifts and talents and resources and God's going to start rewriting my story through that not only through me but through other people as well and maybe you're a dad in the house and you're saying you know what I've never really led my family in following Christ and, and I'm, I want to rewrite that story in my family today I want to walk through that, whatever that may look like. And we want to every every scenario that I just played out, we want to walk with you we believe that you weren't meant to take this journey alone. And we want to walk with you every step of the way. There are some incredibly godly mentors here in this uh, house in our church. And we will, we will pair you up with them as we walk together in this. I know that there's many men in this house that I have walked closely to and learned from over and over again. And so let's pray together and just ask God to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word, your truth, your power. Thank you for reminders uh, in our story, like the book of Esther, that you're working all behind the scenes, God. God, I pray that uh, we remember uh, that all throughout Scripture, you remind us that even though our situation may seem bleak, there are but God moments where you can take those moments and, and turn it all for good for your glory, God. And it may, we may have to release our expectations of what the situation looks like, God, but we're giving our expectations to you and we're believing that you can work in them, God. God, I pray that you just stir our hearts to where we want to start living for you, Jesus, because you can rewrite our story now and here today. And I pray that you continue to do that. God, I pray that you are in the midst of everybody's lives here. And I pray, God, that you illuminate those but God moments, those reversals in our lives. And we can write those down because those are pieces of our testimony, God, that you're using. And God, I pray that... Um, as we wrap up this service here today, that you would give us wisdom. You would give us encouragement. You give us wisdom like you gave Esther as she's walking through this situation, God. God, that you would give us courage to begin to step out in faith. And as you give us the next sentence to write, God, that we'll write that sentence out. As you help guide us every step of the way, God. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.